0: Hey working moms! Hey working dads! Hey aspiring working parents!
1: And allies of working parents! Are you in search of your pillow? Does it take you 24 hours just to get out the door in the morning? Are you the
0: family ATM? Or the family Uber driver? Are you on a Zoom call for work while carpooling
1: while also watching a practice? If so, welcome to our world, the Parents at Work podcast. I'm Lori. I'm Jason. We are married. And we have two
0: wild and crazy redheaded boys. We're here to shine a light on the roller coaster ride that is working parenthood. I'm a healthcare lawyer and founder of a working parent community
1: called Mindful Return. And I'm an executive coach with Ready, Set, Launch, LLC. I wrote a cool book called Relationships to Infinity.
0: And I wrote a cool book called Back to Work After Baby. Hello and welcome back. In this series of episodes, we are excited to interview moms and dads in financial services. And Jason, you and I had a wonderful conversation with two fantastic dads in financial services. And today, we're really delighted to introduce you to two very talented moms. I also just have to warn everybody, Jason's a little under the weather. He's got a little frog in his throat, but we're happy you're here,
1: Jason. Working on it. One one (laughs) vocal cord at a time.
0: Exactly. Okay, so introducing you to our two guests today. First, we have Ami Patel, who's a partner at Elevar Equity, an impact investment firm, and she leads the firm's organizational and operating functions. Ami brings over 20 years of experience working in a variety of organizations with a focus on emerging market impact and ESG investing. She started her career as an M&A analyst and then spent a year in Nepal, bringing her to merge the two worlds into her current role. Ami has two daughters who are now 12 and 10 years old, and both of them are teaching her things about herself that she never knew. Welcome, Ami. We're glad you're here. And Jason's also going to introduce us to our other guest.
1: Thank you, Lori. Yes, our second guest is Millie Shield, who's a managing director in the Industrials Coverage Group at Truist's Corporate and Investment Bank. She provides capital raising and corporate finance advisory services to industrial clients. She has significant experience in originating, structuring, and executing capital market transactions, and she works with her clients on financing, capital structure and allocation, risk management, and other financial services. Prior to joining Truist in 2022, Millie spent 16 years at Citigroup as a managing director in the Corporate and Investment Bank. She holds an MBA from Georgetown University and a BS in economics from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And she's a mom to a nine-year-old daughter in fourth grade. Welcome, Millie.
0: All right, so let's dig into this conversation. Millie and Ami, hello, welcome. We're so glad that you're both here. Let's start off with you, Ami. I would love if you would kick us off by just taking us on a path through your own personal working parent story.
2: Thank you, Lori. Thank you, Jason. It's an absolute honor to be here. My personal work parent story. So, I was fortunate to have my first child when I was working at the Soros Economic Development Fund, which had awesome maternity policies in place and an amazing healthcare and a great team that was very supportive. And so, my becoming a mother for the first time, it was a great entry into this. Journey that we're on, but as my daughter sort of as I went started to go back to work, I had the wonderful joys of balancing her being at home with a nanny and me being at work and having to pick up my travel again because I travel a lot for work and um, figuring out how to do pumping it wasn't as open as it is today. Um, this is twelve years ago, pumping on planes, figuring out storage for my milk, all of those trials and tribulations. But then you know, we mastered it. And then as I got to thinking about number two, I had changed jobs and worked for an investment boutique advisory firm, which did not have a maternity policy in place at the time. I was the first the firm had with that was someone who was pregnant and needed to figure out all these rules and what the policy would be. And so I was an experiment And it wasn't as smooth. It was a little bit choppy. I had a conference call the minute she was born. So I had to postpone it just so I could hand over because she came earlier than she was planned. And so there's a lot that I compare the first child and the second child. And I don't think I remember much of my second child's first year because I didn't really have that nice three months off. I was allowed to just work from home for six months. But I still had to work um, and I really only got a month off technically. And so, you know, I learned through this process is that depending on the firm and the resources and what they can provide for you, the entry point into becoming a parent, it can be really wonderful or really challenging. And then that sort of sets the tone for the years to come on how you think about things and how we build things here at Elevar and what we do for our employees who want to be moms as well.
0: Amazing. Um, I'm realizing, I mean, that our children are pretty much the exact same ages at 10 and 12. And you're you're taking me on a trip down memory lane to the pumping and airplanes and all, all the various places. I appreciate that you were really being a trailblazer at the organization where you had your second child. Is there any advice that you would give to an organization that is truly experimenting with their first person going on leave or their first several?
2: My advice to all firms Irrespective of size, is to ensure that you give women the full three months at least, and if not six, if you can plan for it and afford it. I would also encourage the fathers or the other parents of that child to also have time that's flexible. So they're usually not needed at the very beginning because it, there's limited tasks that they can do. But as the child gets older, I would definitely suggest going against norms in the U.S. and sort of being better corporate citizens and giving more time.
0: Amazing. Thank you for that, Ami. Over to you, Millie. Can you walk us through your own
3: personal working parent story? Sure. Happy to. And Jason and Lori, definitely, um, you know, thank you for having Ami and I on the program today. It's a pleasure to speak to you. I would say when I had my daughter about nine years ago, I was working at Citigroup and they had definitely a well-established and supportive policies in place, family leave type policies in place. I was actually able to take five months off. Uh, Not all of it was paid, but I'd been in my current position and working with with more or less the same group of colleagues for, at that point, probably about seven or eight years. So it's well-established. So you know, I work in corporate investment banking. And at the time I had my daughter, I was either a VP or maybe a director. And so it's, you know, obviously a very demanding job with lots of travel, but the company was was very supportive. When I did return to work, there was a um, I can't remember what it was called exactly, but they had a a room that was dedicated to pumping and storage. Cleaning of all the parts and equipment and uh, refrigeration, etc. There was also in my building. I think a lot of banks and law firms, uh, investment firms, have backup childcare benefits. Mine happened to be uh, with an organization called Bright Horizons, and that was really, and I'll talk about this later, but really pretty vital for me for the early, you know, pre-elementary and even into early elementary. Years of my child's life of um, using those backup childcare benefits. But at the time uh, we had a backup Bright Horizons facility right in my own building, my uh, my office building. So that was easy enough. Now, when I went back to work, we put my daughter into daycare. So, um, she was there most of the time. Of course, it's going to be times when you when daycare is closed or for whatever reason. And eventually, when she went to school, there are lots of school holidays you have to deal with. So, I ended up using that quite a lot. I will also say that I originally started off in more of a traditional kind of two working parent family when, when my daughter was born in the first few years of her life. And my ex-husband and I managed daycare Drop offs, pickups when I was traveling, et cetera. We both had families that live out of state and were not nearby. So we definitely had a few babysitters on hand, you know, for date nights or, or when, you know, one of us needed extra help if the other was traveling. Then after a couple of years, my ex husband and I separated and I actually. Then had sole custody, and to this day have sole custody of my daughter. And so that definitely, and then he eventually uh, moved out of state for various reasons. So that was definitely a lot more challenging. Like I said, my my work schedule is demanding and definitely requires travel at times. But basically, you know, you just build up a village of support, whether it be babysitters, the, the backup childcare benefits. Eventually, when your child gets to be a little bit more school age, there are day camps for every single holiday you can think of (laughs) and that sort of thing. Occasionally, I would have um, family fly in or maybe I'd I'd, uh, fly out to visit them in Dallas and and I'd be able to just take a a few days reprieve or vacation if I needed. But it definitely has been a network of uh, different support systems to help me as I've gone by and there will be times of ups and downs where, you know, your life is very, my life is very scheduled and I live by my Outlook calendar, but that's okay. You know, I I have built up, you know, the various supports that I need and it's worked out very well and I've continued to progress in my career. And um, I also think that I'm, I, you know, hope that I'm setting a great example for my daughter as a sole working parent with, with a life, by the way, <laughs> I have my own social life as well, but, you know, uh, make sure that she has her social life, her playdates, her birthday parties, sleepovers, activities from school, etc. I'll also say and mention that uh, prior to having my my daughter, I actually had a first pregnancy that unfortunately ended uh, a couple of years before having my daughter. First pregnancy that unfortunately ended up in a a late term stillbirth. And, you know, my work was very supportive. Again, I was able to take some time off and recuperate from that. As you get a little bit older, you'll have, you'll know many people, uh, friends, family, whatnot, who go through sometimes non-traditional paths of having children, you know, that's way more common than people realize with people are having miscarriages or having difficulties getting pregnant and uh, or needing to go through surrogacy routes or IVF or, or other things. And definitely, as as the years have gone by, I think more and more companies and banks and law firms, et cetera, are developing those kind of family support policies to encourage and enable those paths when, when needed. So that's been a great development, I think, in sort of the family planning arena.
0: Amazing. Millie, thank you for sharing so openly about everything and very sorry for your loss earlier on. I have a question for you as single mom to your fourth grader. I hear many people, and I probably have even said this myself, say that that expression to the single parent. Gosh, I don't know how you do it as a single parent. What is a more productive slash more helpful thing to say to someone who's a who's solo parenting? What words of encouragement, Um, support, um, allyship are most helpful to you?
3: Oh, gosh, that's a great question. I think that of course, you know single parents, single parents, or you know dual working parents. We all have our own challenges and ups and downs, and and I don't think of myself as being uh, heroic or necessarily, you know, doing more than the next person. We just all have our own different challenges, it, 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 even in dual households or households where you might have multi generational. Uh, living and grandparents to help, which I do, by the way, have now and have had for the last mm-hmm. year and a half, which has been great. You know, everyone has their own challenges. And I guess it is nice to, <laughs> for people to say, wow, that's amazing that you handle it all. But it's really sometimes you just share resources. And I've definitely educated people around my firms about, oh, my gosh, you should definitely look into the Bright Horizons backup care Network And they have people, yeah. they have child care centers or that you can um, hire people to come to your home for a few hours at a time. They also have people who do pet care or senior care if you have an older person living with you that needs help or while you're gone for a few hours. So, you know, just sharing resources, educating each other about um, different resources available I think has been really huge or sharing networks of, Oh, do you have a babysitter or, Oh, you know, someone who does driving services or whatnot. So just sharing resources, I think has been the biggest thing for myself. And I'm, and I'm very, I think open with sharing my thoughts and resources to others because we all get in the same binds and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we we'll, we'll all face similar challenges.
0: Wonderful, yeah, I know. Um, Bright Horizons saved Jason and I many times over whenever,
3: <laughs> <laughs> whenever our children
0: were little. Um, and I often mention this, but at my firm, I worked at a law firm and was there for eighteen months before I knew that the Bright Horizons childcare benefit was a thing. And so I just put a plug out there to employers to make sure that you're communicating the wonderful benefits that you have, so that people can actually take advantage of them. Back over to you, Ami. I would love to know from both of you, but you first how you would describe what exactly it is like to be a parent in financial services these days. I get that you're going to have to make some broad characterizations here, but I'm curious to to hear that. Yes.
2: So financial services is such a vast industry and there's lots of different kinds of roles. So I'm going to give a perspective from the private equity, private venture capital, alternative investment lens, because I think we have a little bit more flexibility than say a traditional financial institution that has a large office and staff, and you have to go into an office, et cetera. And, and some of this is like pre-COVID, post-COVID world of what it's like to be in the industry. But for me, in comparison to my prior positions, the be working with Elevar allows me the greatest amount of flexibility. It's probably why I'm able to do what, I'm a, what I can do, given that I'm not in the market that we invest in. So Elevar is an early stage investment firm that focuses on emerging markets, so India and Latin America, and that's where we deploy our capital. And so the team is entirely based in both of these geographies, with the bulk of the team in India. And so I've been here now seven years, and I've worked from home the entire time. The times when I'm not working from home, I'm on the road traveling, and I've but I have control over my schedule to the extent that I can block travel around when the kids need to, you know, when they're having a recital, or there's some big performance that they're involved in, or I need to be home for X, Y, and Z. I have that flexibility that allows me to stay as much as I can present in their lives. And You know, from running the household, I can do laundry in between conference calls. And now I wake up very early because of India hours and I go to bed late sometimes because of India hours. So I have a lot of time in the afternoon. So I can actually when I'm home, I can be present for homework and help with after school activities, etc. So my biggest challenge is when I travel, how do I manage the guilt? (laughs) Because the kids obviously don't like it when a parent is away. How do I manage staying on top of their work and being present for them as much as possible? And those are the two biggest things that I'm constantly looking for answers for, because it's the ball is always in the air and the goalpost is constantly moving.
0: And Ami, is there anything in particular that you have found most helpful, even if not 100% foolproof in helping with that that management of guilt and all the pieces moving around when you travel.
2: Yeah. So it's funny. I recently, in the last two trips, I actually schedule on my calendar. So no one blocks it, like schedules over it. I have to call my kids at this hour because because of time difference. I'm in India. There's only so many slots in the calendar where you can I can catch them when they're not tired or running out the door to go to something. So that mm-hmm. was one way for me to stay on top of, at least stay on top of the communication with them while I'm gone. And then mm-hmm. luckily we have Google Classrooms, so I'm able to go in and see what they're doing at school. Um, and I have a really amazing network within the community where I live so that if I need help with logistics, I can help remotely so that my husband isn't squeezed for all of the Uber driving that he has to do when I'm away to take the kids mm-hmm. to all their activities. Um, it is ama- those, amazing
0: how much, yeah. how much we can do from afar. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yes, it's being methodical because I wasn't always a planner like that with making sure I talk to my kids every day.
0: Yeah, it's a matter of prioritizing that connection. And it sounds like when it gets on the calendar, it happens, which is a common phenomenon. Um, And yeah, love that you found that as a a solution.
2: Sad that our calendars rule our lives, but yes.
0: (laughs) When the priorities make it on there, they actually happen, yes. The Parents at Work podcast is proudly supported by two programs, Mindful Return and Ready, Set, Launch. For the past decade, Mindful Return has helped working parents succeed both at home and at work. If you're an employer, you know how much it costs to recruit a talented employee. Let Mindful Return help you avoid those high turnover and recruitment costs. With our asynchronous group programs for new parents, we help you retain your new parent colleagues who are returning to work after parental leave. We partner with over 100 employers and have proven retention data. Learn more and sign up for a free program demo at www.mindfulreturn.com forward slash four dash employers. That's www.mindfulreturn.com forward slash four F-O-R employers.
1: For more than 12 years, Ready, Set, Launch has been empowering high-performing executives, attorneys, and consultants to achieve their career and business goals. Are you looking to grow your professional services practice, engage your valuable networks, or advance your own career? Turn to Ready, Set, Launch for our interactive keynotes, engaging trainings in both group and one-on-one coaching. We partner with Fortune 500 companies, AMLAW 100 law firms, global executive search firms, and professional and trade associations, among others, Learn more at www.readysetlaunch.net. That's www.readysetlaunch.net.
0: Over to you, Millie. I would love to hear your characterization of what it's like to be a parent in financial services.
3: Sure. You know, definitely like, I mean, I schedule certain things in my calendar and the guilt thing is my number one, my number one issue for sure. Especially, it's different, you know, with... Uh, Everyone's situation is different, but I feel it acutely because my daughter is a single child and, uh, you know, luckily my mother lives with us now. So when I'm gone, grandmother has her, but I certainly, uh, the guilt is a huge thing. I block off times, my calendar, not necessarily for calls every night, but I certainly, when I do travel, I I speak to her every night, but I block off, I I do the majority of pickups and drop-offs at school and I block off that time in my calendar. So nobody schedules a call and the The network of of parents in the classroom, of of the parents of the kids' friends in class is huge. Late last week, uh, my daughter's best friend's mother was in a car accident suddenly, and they have two kids. So we're very, very close to their family. So I said, sure, I'll pick up both kids from school. Ended up having them over for a sleepover. And then they stayed until 9 o'clock the next night. And then we've been helping out with with, with some of their activities. And, and, um, you know, I know that they've helped me out in the past before with pickups and drop offs. And I think that they'll need some help for, for time to come, but yeah, you just lean on um, other parents uh, for help when you need it. And then you pitch in, you know, willingly, you know, when you can, because, you know, I, I, I believe it all comes around, you know, going back to the question of what it's like to be a parent financial services these days, I actually, you know, taking a little bit more of the financial services aspect of that, I find my job and everything that affects what I do to be fascinating. There are, you know, things that go on every day in the macro economy and geopolitical events, they all affect my clients, affect the bank in every way, shape and form I find there's always different things to be talking to my clients about whether there's quote unquote, a live transaction or not. Currently, the high interest rate environment, which 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 we think is going to kind of continue for a higher higher for longer type of interest rate for a while, things that happened earlier this year in twenty twenty three with some of the more regional banks, kind of the bank run environment, if you will, earlier this year, and how that affected the bank market, things like what's going on in the commercial real estate market, the long ongoing war in Ukraine, what's happening more recently in Israel. This is all. In my opinion, like every single day, things are happening and and current events affect my clients and affect what I'm doing day to day. I find it all fascinating. My daughter has certainly heard her fair share of (laughs) of my conference calls and sometimes dropping into my virtual Zoom or Teams meeting sometimes. But I, I hope to think, I'd like to think, she's sort of learning a little bit by osmosis and just getting a a taste of some of the world events that are going on and how that's impacting what I do and the conversations I have with clients and colleagues. So you know, certainly, I'm very involved in all her day to day school and activities. And the guilt is my number one unsolvable, if you will, issue. But I lo- I, I really believe that having uh, you know a strong working parent model. Is going to benefit her in the long run, and so you know what it's like to be a, a parent in financial services, or or really in any any industry. I think that you're pro- hopefully serving as a great example to your child or children. You know, you're a parent, but you're also you know a contributor to society. You're you have things going on and, and a life going on that hopefully they see and and may want to you know grow up and model uh, over the long run.
0: Wonderful, Millie. We talked a lot in the working dad episode about exposing our children to the financial services world or whatever world we're engaged in and how important that is for teaching them about the world and letting them see us in action. And it sounds like you're doing just that. It also sounds like you've found the right career because you are that enthusiasm and passion definitely shines through even just through your voice here. Before I pivot over to Jason, and because you both raised this, we're not going to conquer parent guilt in five seconds. And I just wanted to offer a reframe that a working mom coach named Lauren Gordon taught me over the past couple of years, which is when you are telling yourself that narrative, I feel guilty because I feel guilty because I couldn't be there at pickup or I feel guilty because I'm traveling, flip it around and say, I made this decision because. And it's a a stronger way of sitting in the decision in a way that's validating and reminds you of why you made the decision that you chose so that your head doesn't go down that guilt spiral. So just a, a nugget there for one way to think about guilt and, and reframing it a bit. Over to you, Jason, for our next set of questions.
1: Thanks, Lori. Thanks so much. And I, I love how you're reframing guilt. And I've I've just really enjoyed hearing both Millie and Ami talk about their personal experiences and their journeys as Working Moms and Financial Services, and in your own different ways, talking about the importance of networks. As you all know, that's one of my jams. And uh, as someone that owns the babysitting bench within our house, having networks, being intentional about networks, both in terms of who can help care for your kids, the the parents, the uh, that's something that I think uh, all helps us uh, make us better. Uh, I want to go to a me with this question. You talked about this a little bit, but I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper. When you became a working parent, there were workplace supports that you had. What did you find really helpful when you became a working parent?
2: It's a great question because I, I think I may be one of those people that wasn't good at making sure I used all the tools that I could that were being offered. We, we were living in the city, New York City at the time, and then we moved to Brooklyn So we leveraged the community to find nannies and the interviewing process of entrusting your child with this stranger. And that was a very complicated process. And I think we finally, we went through four nannies for the two girls and landed on the fourth, who, if I could still have her in my life today, I would. She was phenomenal and amazing. And I wish I had had her from the very beginning, but that was a Long complicated process. And and I think it's gotten harder for moms to find talent uh, and afford them because of the dynamics of the city and just everything post-COVID. Um, and it's it's that is a beast of the system. We also didn't dial into childcare um, as much because of personal sort of cultural beliefs of wanting to keep the kids home and preferences. And so we, it wasn't until they got to like the age of three that we then started like putting them in daycare and, and having that network. And there I would say, I mean, Brooklyn's awesome. We found this amazing, ironically Jewish mom who had a number of her own kids who started a daycare school. And that was a tool that helped us because it was across the street. It was super healthy, healthy environment. And and it was the equivalent of like the reference to Bright Horizons for us because it was easy to get to. But then once the kids got to an age, and I feel like this is the hardest years for all parents is that pre-K to kindergarten. If you're not in a public school system and you're in a big city, it's a it's a really competitive game of getting your kid into the right school and paying the price. And so that balance um, was hard for us. So we ended up leaving the city. And moving out to New Jersey to ensure that we can get into a public school system and stay for the long run and not have to worry about our child's sort of trajectory from an education standpoint. Cause playing the private school game in like a city like New York, it's really tough. And there are a lot of tools out there to help you navigate it, but it comes with a price. And I think that's the decision that we had to take at that point, which was are we gonna continue to play this game and Pay or just leave city life and live in the suburbs and live the suburb life, which has a lot of its pros and cons. I, I would say that those—that's what's coming to mind from a tool perspective, Jason. I don't. Other than that, I—I—I I, I, I wasn't very good at leveraging other things that were out there.
1: You know, and I think it's really interesting how you evolved in that decision, and even going from the city to Brooklyn to New Jersey. As you've uh, evolved in that, what has it been like to be going from city life to? Are you in a like a urban or suburban area in New Jersey?
2: Uh, I am in um, Chatham, New Jersey. So it is everyone's come from like, either Jersey City or the city itself. There's a lot of people that have migrated out here. I feel like it's utopia. It's the all-American sort of lifestyle where you have houses and communities and the kids have sports and there's stuff in schools, plays, all of that. And growing up like first generation, like this is what I always wanted for myself when I was a kid. And so my kids are getting it, but I will say that it was a tough adjustment for everybody in the house to leave city living and live in the suburbs to the point. I think my kids and my husband had an allergic reaction to the water in New Jersey, cause it's not as nice as New York. But mm-hmm. now that we've been here for five years they would love to go back to city life, but they would never want to leave their friends. So that community is here. And it, I don't think we would have developed this kind of community in the city.
1: No, I hear you on community. Thank you for sharing with me. That's really great. Uh, same question, Millie. When you became a working parent, what workplace supports did you find particularly helpful?
3: Sure. You know, like I've espoused and and kind of bowed down before, the. we use Bright Horizons a lot. And it's a backup care benefit. It's not a full time care benefit. But when I returned to work, you know, it was so easy. Uh, uh, you know, before her daycare actually started, I think because daycare turnover or changes, you know, spots open up generally in September. We had a spot, but I went back to work a little bit before I brought my daughter, who was, I guess, at the time, you know, very, very small, seven or eight months. But used the in house in the office building, Bright Horizons backup care center. And then over the years, and now she went into. Pre-K and kindergarten elementary, I certainly continue to use backup care. You know, sometimes center-based if there's a center that's near you. Sometimes we use the in-home care benefit where you could have someone come to your home for a few hours or a full day instead of going to a center. I've even used it at times if sort of all the stars align. If she's not in school for some reason, I've taken her on a couple of business trips actually. And uh, found someone to come to the hotel we were staying at and watch her for a few hours while I went to a meeting and then we could uh, spend the rest of the time. You know, I, I remember we did this in Memphis and we we're staying at Graceland. Oh, man,
1: that's awesome.
3: <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was so, pretty cool. And I could find find someone through, through backup care and she came to the hotel and then took care of my daughter while I was at meetings. And then she and I kind of explored Graceland for the evening or the next morning. So that, that was kind of fun.
1: That is the <laughs> coolest story of using backup care on a business trip by far that I've heard.
3: And then, you know, of course, during COVID, you know, everything shut down, but eventually when it happened, she was, she transitioned to zoom kindergarten. I remember in, in March of 2020, but you know, after another sometime during latter half of 2020, I went into 2021, backup bright horizon centers were opening back up and they actually provided oversight for your children doing zoom learning while at the backup bright Horizons. so i could i would drop her off there was one in lower manhattan i would drop her off for the day i would go to work and they would actually supervise her and help her with tech support or whatnot because she was you know a first grader doing zoom first grade and she could do that at Bright Horizons why well, I, w- I went to the office or worked from home, you know, depending on the situation, it was COVID and everything was, was uh, rapidly, you know, very fluent. But uh, so I used Bright Horizons a lot. So that for me was really, really a huge workplace support for myself.
1: I mean, that's amazing that Bright Horizons acted as tutors during like virtual school.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I- I yeah. I never it even was...
1: thought of that. Millie, let me, let me stay with you. So what, what supports did you have? But you think other parents might benefit from, you know, with uh, you know, twenty twenty hindsight.
3: You know, something that I did not utilize. It wasn't, um, you know, everyone it was different things that work for different situations. I know that some parents during the height of COVID formed like these small pods for school or for childcare. I ended up not needing to do that, but I know that that was certainly a thing, especially in New York City. Of these pods, <laughs> sure. and Ami probably you know, and, and Jason Moore, you probably remember them or hear of them. So I didn't need that or use that. I suppose that that's kind of the biggest thing that came to me when I was thinking about, about this question. Amy, I don't know if there were other things that that uh, you thought of when thinking about this particular question. I felt like I was pretty well supported. And I was very fortunate.
2: This is where the utopian life of Chatham living <laughs> came into play.
1: Hail to New Jersey! Yes. <laughs> And, and thanks for sharing, Millie. And uh, Millie, you said something that I think is really interesting is that, you know, you do what works for you and you do what works for your family. And that's what's important and what works at that moment in time. I want to turn to me with the next question. The career coach is coming out in me. Uh, me, when you think of like middle school or high school or, or college, what was your first paying job?
2: Ah, my first paying job. I actually worked in an acupuncture clinic of a friend of a family member. Um
1: in acupuncture and was like, clinic.
2: Yeah, back in the day in high school and filled prescriptions and manned the phone.
1: Wow. How did you get this job? job?
2: Again, it was a friend of a friend and their dad owned the clinic. And it was a much better job than say being a reception hostess at like TGI Fridays, or I also did like clothing folding in the mall,
1: one oh. of those stores
2: where you're one of those people that constantly keeps everything on hangers.
1: At this acupuncture place, what did you think you learned about yourself?
2: That, you know, I have to dig deep on this one, but I I think my parents owned a motel, so I grew up in a business. And I think what I learned about myself is I liked working in a friendly environment that didn't have hierarchy, that is all hands on deck at all times. And so it was always all hands on deck at home. Running the motel, being chipping in. So I didn't think of that as a job. That was just life. But once I went to like the small business where they have clients and I have to be friendly and you have to, you know, be courteous, but it's because it's their business, it's different than working at like a restaurant or a corporate or something like that. It's you just become a part of the business. And I think that if I dig, that's probably what makes me happy to be where I am at Elevar because we're a small organization. There's only 25 of us. Um, And we have a huge mandate, but it's all hands on deck at all times.
1: Thanks for sharing with me. Millie, same Mm -hmm. question. What was your first job?
2: So I was a host or hostess
3: at a steakhouse in Plano, Texas called Steak and Ale. And uh, I was 16 years old. I really liked it, actually, and uh, had that for the rest of high school. You know, I think from that, I just learned to be able to talk to people, get a gauge of, of people, you know, kind of read people a little bit. And certainly, you know when things are busy and picked up. You know, I, uh, things like Mother's Day or Valentine's Day was a big, you know, very busy time at the restaurant. And you learn to uh, run around. You know, you have to manage multiple things. You have to manage personalities of the wait staff, some of whom are going to be happy or unhappy with their seating or their tables or whatnot. Uh, you help in and pitch out. You know, this table needs bread. Run, run out to them. You know, et cetera. The, one of the most interesting <laughs> memories I have was when I re- this happened a couple of times. I remember the first time it happened. You know, somebody tries to bribe you to get to the front of the of the wait list for during a busy holiday, and you're not. Oh qu- my I was, you gosh! Know, 16 years old. You're not quite sure how to handle it. I refused, and you know, politely refused. The person was not happy, but you know, it is what it is. But you know, you just learned You you kind of <laughs> and and you know things like you throughout your career and your life, you'll get you know, suddenly put into situations where that puts you off guard, Yeah, take you off guard, maybe go into sort of a moral ethical, ethical, you know, gray area. And you learn to sort of think on your feet. Maybe you make, I'm sure you're going to make mistakes at some point and maybe you have to come clean to, to your manager or supervisor or figure out what to do in a client situation. But yeah, that was, um, so yeah, you learn a lot of different things that way.
1: <laughs> Fascinating. So you you found your ethics at sixteen already?
3: Well, I don't know, if found them, but you know, <laughs> I got to uh, start examining them, and you know, I certainly wasn't, uh, you know, you and you, It's probably a lifelong, lifelong event of um, of learning how to navigate through gray areas, and then you know, with your children working with them as they navigate through, through gray areas. That is a lifelong journey and things that occur that the the world and life is ever changing, ever evolving. And you see things on the front page of the, the wall street journal that you never thought you'd pee and, people acting and behaving in ways that you're like, wow. And so it's 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 certainly interesting.
1: The <laughs> parallels yeah. are there. The parallels are there. Lori, I'll let you go to the next question. Millie and I mean, I love your responses.
0: Yeah, Millie, I think you had an excellent segue into our next question, actually, which is, what skills do you think that you have gained through parenthood that are actually helpful to your career? We've talked about skills from your first job. We talked about skills that we're teaching our kids. Now, what skills is parenthood giving you that are useful in your financial services career. And we'll stick with you, Millie, and then we'll go to Ami.
3: Sure, sure. Happy to. Um, definitely uh for me, parenthood has been um an exercise in learning patience. I, I was not born with the most patient personality, been a lifelong uh journey for me, but definitely since having kids and uh, and to be honest, over the course of you know, personal relationships, work relationships, et cetera, you learn patience and maybe thinking of things from a different perspective or trying to think through things from a different perspective. And how can I get to an outcome that works for me, works for everyone? And maybe I need to approach this issue in a different way that makes sense to that other person or other child uh, from their perspective. So for me, I mean, many skills I've been learning and continue to learn through parenthood, but my number one um, is patience.
0: Love that and creativity
2: for sure. Ami, over to you. So, I'm going to have to agree with Millie. Uh, I do think my number one skill that I've learned from my kids, and they're constantly teaching me, is patience. But I will add, and I'm sure Millie has this too, which is communication skills. I manage and oversee a fairly large team of very diverse personalities, everyone and like different cultural backgrounds. And we have lots of different forms of communication. And the overall effectiveness is how we all can communicate with one another and hear and listen to one another. And I'm sort of sit at the center and ensure that that glue exists. I feel I play the same role at home and I'm learning that actually we have a long way to go in my house about how we all communicate with one another, how we hear each other, how we bring tone that's appropriate, that doesn't leave the other person second guessing or feeling slighted. Or as my young daughters go through the phase of preteen into teenagehood, the sensitivities, the hormones up and down, you do need to think about how you're communicating and why things have to be a certain way and over explaining and bringing them a part of the journey all of that is helping me be more effective at work and vice versa it's almost like a virtuous cycle like i try i test something at work and i bring it at home and i test something at home and i take it to work and i have a running ratio of what's working and what's not and i'm still at like 50/50 but that is the journey i'm on right now and it's it's interesting cuz the kids both of my daughters are so different that you have to change your style you can give the same message to both of them but you have to do it in a different way to have the same result and that in itself is like right i have to do that for my team as well because the partners need a certain explanation and then the team needs it they don't have context and et cetera, et cetera. and so communication has been a, a continuous journey <laughs>
0: Yes, and it sounds as though each place is the perfect training ground for the other, right? Work is the perfect training ground for home and home can be the perfect training ground for work, yeah.
2: Yes, if you allow the signals to come to you.
0: (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Okay, we are almost at the end here, but we have three quick rapid fire conclusion questions for you. And I'll stick with you, Ami, for this first of our final rapid fire questions. With 2020 Hindsight, what piece of advice would you give yourself when you became a parent?
2: To not stress the small stuff. The kids yes. will get there and you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, somehow, <laughs> some way they will get there. Okay, second rapid fire question. What's the number one book that has influenced your parenting journey? Ami.
2: So I actually read this book called Untangled and it's mm-hmm. about how to raise teenage girls through transition into adulthood. And it sort of gives you a sense of what it takes to go through these phases. Um, And so that has been super helpful for me as I prepare for the next phase of their lives.
0: That's fantastic. I think the author of that book also wrote The Emotional Lives of Teenagers, which um, has been very helpful to me as well. Okay, last uh, question for you, and then we'll hop over to Millie for the rapid fire. What is one thing that you think other parents should know about? It could be an invention or a technology or a tool or a program that you want to spread the word about.
2: So I recently got onto my phone, the app called Aura and Uh it's like Aura and Circle. So Circle was more focused on kids and Aura is like just overall cybersecurity. I have had to take on the technology hat for my firm. And so now I'm like cybersecurity and protection and just all of those kinds of things that you need. And As we continue with the constant battle of the right balance of technology with kids, this is an enhanced offering that's not Apple-focused or Android-focused. It allows you to be nimble between whatever device you have, but it allows you to control and set standards and set limits and watch and monitor what the kids are doing on their devices so that at least you know and you can get rid of that voice in your head that tells you that you're an awful parent by allowing them to be on their device (laughs) for so long.
0: Awesome. We will put that in show notes and look into it. Thank you for the tip there, Amy. Anything to okay. drown out that voice. Millie, over to you. Um, what piece of advice would you give yourself when you became a parent?
3: Yeah, my number one piece of advice would be uh, to give you, your family, your kids, your partner, give yourselves a break. It's okay not to be, you know, on top of everything all the time. It's okay to have, you should build in downtime. It's okay to have tablet time. Of course, you know, there are limits, but it's okay. And frankly, for me, at least, you know, emotionally, (laughs) Therapeutic for everyone to have some downtime and have a little bit of their own, you know, tablet time or just recuperating and having some quiet time and quiet space. Amen to that. Okay. Number one book that has influenced your parenting. So I'm really bad with this. I like hardly read like almost never read books. I read a lot of you know, uh-huh, news um, articles in the journal and et cetera. But I would say in general, you know, what's influenced my parenting is really talking to other friends, other parents mm-hmm. about what works with them, what doesn't work for them, how they approach a certain challenge, how they didn't. So just talking to others and getting different perspectives. Back to that
0: village. Absolutely. Okay. And then finally, what's one other tool or thing or technology or service that you think other parents should know about?
3: So I'm a big fan of using Alexa. You know, we, uh, my daughter does not have her own phone or Apple watch or anything like that. And so when I'm traveling, she can call me, I can drop in on the, through the Alexa um, in multiple ways. She, you know, we set her alarm clock via Alexa. She can, I'm a big fan of Alexa, of course, her you know, things and, and limits and, parenting kind of limitations that you need to put to that but i'm a big alexa fan personally especially when you're traveling and your child is not old enough to have their own phone or connected device yet
0: nice thank you for that tip awesome millie Ami, thank you for sharing this time with us we're so happy to hear your stories and be able to share them with anyone everyone um jason anything you want to add
1: just so pleased that both of you could share your honest stories and i just i've learned something new so thank you Ami. thank you millie
0: You are amazing working mom leaders. Thank you both. Thank you. you. Thanks for listening to the Parents at Work podcast.
1: If you liked what you heard, don't just turn us off and walk away. Please help us get the word out by doing one of these four things. One, subscribe to the podcast. Two, share this episode with at least one working parent Friend or colleague.
0: Three, if your organization has a parent or caregiver employee resource group, share it with them too. And finally, four, leave us a quick review on iTunes. You've got this, moms and dads.